do appreciate uh, everyone's presence this morning. We may have a few that are still out of town and haven't gotten back yet, but for the most part, I think everybody's here. We, good to see everyone. If you're visiting, we're especially glad that you're with us this morning. If you happen to be maybe looking for a place to attend on a regular basis, have questions about the congregation here, we'd be glad to talk with you about those things and uh, just uh, pursue that matter a little bit further. Appreciate the prayers that have been offered this morning. Uh, appreciate those prayers that are offered just about every week on behalf of the elders. And so I would encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, not only when we come together in your private prayers at home, remember us as we uh, try to do our best to tend the flock here. Appreciate the prayers that are offered on my behalf personally. And uh, again, would encourage you to do that at home in your private prayers as well as, as here. Just pray for the church here, just in general, that we'll teach God's Word, that we'll uh, reach out to those that are lost, that uh, we'll build up those that are saved. And so just uh, remember the church here in your prayers, uh, just uh, on a daily basis, if, if possible. I want to remind us that uh, Brother uh, Dustin Merkel is coming over here. His move date is in J July, I think, something like that, give or take a few weeks. But uh, he's excited about coming. We're excited about him being here. His house is under contract, and so, and so it's very real at this point. And uh, looking for homes over here in this area. And so just remember him in your prayers as well and uh, the work that he'll do when, when he comes here. I'll just remind you of the things that we've been doing on Sunday morning over the last several weeks. We've been entertaining the question, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require from us? And we notice several passages in answer to that question. The very first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And so just a summary of what God requires from us, His children. What, what's He expect from us? And so here's a passage that summarizes it oh, very well. We then went to the 34th Psalm and look at verses 11 and following. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And notice in both of those passages, the first one and this one, the fear of the Lord is highlighted. And so I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man that desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, just a summary highlighting a few things that the Lord requires of us. Then we went to Proverbs, the third chapter. We looked at verses 1 down through about verse 10 or so, but here's the core of that passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. Again, just a summar summary of what the Lord requires of us. Trust in the Lord. Lean on Him. All your ways acknowledge Him. And if we do that, well then, we'll carry out in detail the things that the Lord expects us to do. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this 
that He understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. And so here's our goal in life. This is what we're trying to achieve, to understand God, to know Him, to understand His character, to understand what He delights in so that we might uh, do those things as well. In this particular case, loving kindness, justice, righteousness are highlighted. And so we recognize those characteristics in God and we want to develop those in ourselves. Then we look at Micah, Verses 6 through 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Very much like the first passage, Deuteronomy chapter 10. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. And so, again, some of the same ideas that we've seen before. That's not a surprise, is it? So over and over again, the writers of the Bible are recognizing this is what God wants from us. They're not totally different things. They're very much, very, very much the same kinds of things as we go through. Well, then we went to the New Testament. We saw that Jesus taught His disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so we talked about what each of those three things uh, entails. Denying self, taking up, each one of us taking up our cross, and then following Jesus wherever He goes, following the Lamb wherever He goes. We're going to talk about that some more tonight. Brother Robbie Howard is going to talk to us about that. I'm looking forward to it. Last week we saw the greatest commandment. What does the Lord require from us? We, we could introduce this passage with that same question, couldn't He? What does the Lord require of us? Well, here's what He requires. To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you've done all the law and the prophets. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind, with everything you've got, and love your neighbor as, as yourself. And so if we'll do those, we will do what God requires of us, what He expects from us. Now I'm going to look at one more of these. This is the last passage in this series of lessons, and we might from time to time revisit the idea. But we want to look at Matthew chapter 23 this morning. Matthew chapter 23. The, the, the expression, speaking truth to power, has become popular these days. And it uh, takes a great deal of courage to do, that, to do that, doesn't it? To speak truth to power. It takes a lot of conviction to do that. And so if I know that someone who has the authority to bring the hammer down on my head, and I'm going to speak the truth to that person knowing that he's not going to like it, that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of conviction. John the Baptist had that, didn't he? And so he tells Herod, it's not lawful for you to have the woman that you have as your wife. And so here's speaking truth to power. It takes a lot of courage and conviction. Nathan the prophet had that as well, didn't he? When he went to David and said, you're the man, David. You're the man. And so uh, there was a lot of bravery and courage in Nathan the prophet. And and Jesus has that as well, doesn't He? Jesus has the courage and the conviction to speak the truth to power. And He does so in this passage, Matthew chapter 23. We think of Jesus as sort of a meek and mild individual. He's blessing little babies. He's affirming everyone's lifestyle. But that's not actually, that's really a distortion of the view of Jesus that we find in the New Testament. In this passage, 
Jesus is a confrontational opponent of the religious establishment. And so he's going to speak out against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious establishment. And Jesus is going to confront them. And he's going to expose them for their true character. Throughout the passage, he identifies them as hypocrites. And embedded in this passage is another statement which encapsulates our requirement, what God requires of us, our duty before God. And so let's talk about this passage a little bit. Matthew chapter 23. The conversation or this dialogue takes place during the week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Remember, Jesus goes into the city on Sunday. On Monday, he overturns the tables of the money changers and drives uh, those who are selling the doves and so forth out out of the the temple area. And then on Tuesday of that week, there's, oh, a long, long list of things that take place. For example, he answers a series of questions in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, In Matthew chapter 24, there's this discussion about the coming destruction of Jerusalem. He tells the parables of the ten virgins and the talents. There's this description of judgment in Matthew chapter 25 as well. It must have been on this day, in the afternoon maybe, at some point, Judas goes out and he meets with the leaders of the Jews and agrees to betray Jesus. And so that's the setting. Uh, that's the day of the week and the other things that are happening on the, that day when Jesus uh, enters into this conversation with the Pharisees. He issues a series of strong criticisms against them. It takes the form of a woe pronouncement. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I remember when I was a boy, I would hear preaching like that from this passage. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. I thought there were three groups being addressed. The scribes, the Pharisees, and the hypocrites. That's not really right, is it? There are only two groups being addressed, and their character is being identified. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And so he's exposing their hypocrisy. He's exposing their character by pronouncing woe upon them. You find this kind of statement in the prophets. For example, in the book of Isaiah, chapters 28 through 35, that that section of Isaiah sometimes is called the book of woes. It's a great number of woes pronounced on Israel in that place. Habakkuk also contains a series of woe pronouncements in chapter 2. The 65 times woe occurs in the Old Testament, 57 of them are in the prophets. And so we find it very common that the prophets are pronouncing woe upon the people for their idolatry or immorality or hypocrisy or uh, injustice toward their fellow man, many, many things. And so it's no wonder when Jesus spoke in that manner, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, no wonder then that people considered him one of the prophets. He speaks like a prophet. He preaches like a prophet. He must be one of the prophets. The Pharisees were a sect of the Jews, often opponents of Jesus in the Gospels. Not all Pharisees were bad. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. Apparently they developed during the time between the Testament over a concern of of what they perceived to be laxness in holiness among God's people. And so there's too much unholiness going on among the people. And so they're trying to pull the people back to a holy life. And they separated themselves then. They separated themselves from anything and anybody 
they considered to be unholy. Oh, those are unholy people. We don't want to associate with them so that we can retain and maintain our own holiness. They accepted and, bounded and bound traditions of men as a protection against becoming unholy. And so you don't want to become unholy, so go through this ritual washing of hands and pots and dishes and all of those things in an effort to kind of uh, protect yourself becoming unholy. And they looked on those who did not agree with them with contempt. And so if you didn't agree with them and their standard and their practices, oh, they, they looked at, upon you as a questionable person at least. In this passage, Jesus exposes their errors and uh, condemns them as hypocrites. Matthew chapter 23 begins uh, with a statement exposing their inconsistency, the inconsistency of the Pharisees. They say and do not do. Do what they say, but don't do like them because they preach, but they don't practice what they preach. And so Jesus criticizes them for that. And throughout this passage, here's a list of uh, several of these pronouncements. They shut off the kingdom from other people. They devour, widow, they devour widows' houses. They make long prayers for show. They make proselytes twice as much sons of hell as themselves. They appear to take oaths, but then they find loopholes so they don't have to keep their oaths, and so they swear falsely. They go through the motions of rituals of cleanliness, but are full of gross immorality. They present themselves as holy, but inwardly are corrupt. They now being similar to their wicked forefathers, but are actually very much like them. I know what you're thinking. Brother Bob, you've, you've skipped number five. <laughs> one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight. Well, I didn't skip it because number five is the one we're going to focus on. And so let's look at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and deal and, deal and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a net and swallow a camel. Notice that last statement. This is why I put a camel up here. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Not that straining out gnats is a bad thing. I'm all for it. You know? I don't want to drink something that has gnats in it. But you strain out a gnat, but you swallow the camel. So let's talk about this passage in the time that we've got left this morning. Woe to you. Here's that woe pronouncement. Just, this is a, an emphatic criticism. Woe to you. Uh, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Tithing was the contribution of one-tenth of the income of a person to the priest to support their work. It supported all things connected with the temple. It was uh, income for priests and Levites, but it helped to, uh, to uh, maintain the facility as well and the sacrifices that were involved. And the priests and Levites, the, the, the material that they needed to carry out their work. The law required tithing. Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 22, Leviticus 27 and verse 30, both of those passages require every Hebrew, every Israelite to tithe, to give a tenth of their income for the support of the priests and Levites. 
Deuteronomy 14 verse 22 says that they were to tithe what comes out of the field, grain, wine, oil, and the firstlings of herds and flocks. And so they were to tithe that. What comes out of your field? The grain, the wine, the oil, and uh, their animals as well. And so here's someone, he's got some grain, he's, he's harvested some grain, he's to measure a tenth of that, and he would take that and it would become, belong to the priest. He would contribute that for the support of the priest. That would be the priest's income and, uh, and so forth. The Pharisees were so meticulous in tithing that they contributed one-tenth of the garden herbs. And so here's, here's mint and dill, these garden herbs. And so they would take even a tenth of those and contribute that to the priest. And so Jesus says they're hypocrites. Now, not for doing that, but, but for doing that and then neglecting the weightier provisions of the law. So their problem was not what they were doing with their tithing, but doing that and neglecting the weightier provisions, the weightier matters of the law. There are weightier matters of the law. Jesus identified, he uses that expression. That's not my expression, that's his expression. There are matters that are weightier than others. And Jesus identifies three of them here. So what makes these matters weightier matters? Well, these are the essential principles of godly behavior. They're the primary obligations. They're the principles that produce the proper observance of the details. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more. And so these are the principles that produce the proper observance of the details. That's why they're weightier. They're primary. They're essential. And to neglect these, to focus on the non-weightier matters, to the neglect of the weightier matters, would be, as Jesus said, like straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Like I said a moment ago, seeing gnats and straining them out would be good. That's, that's a good thing. <laughs> but not if we don't see the camel and swallow it. They were focused on the small details implied by the law, but neglected the big foundational principles, the essentials. And that's Jesus' condemnation of them. That's not my condemnation, that's his condemnation. You are focused on the small, smaller details to the neglect of the fundamental principles, the essential principles of the faith. Jesus identifies three of these. The first one is justice. It's not an exhaustive list, of course. For example, if you look over at Luke chapter 11 and in verse 42, very similar statement. Woe to you Pharisees, you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And so in, in Luke, you find you, you've neglected justice and love. And so this is not an exhaustive list. It's a sample of the kinds of things, the kind of fundamental essential principles that the Pharisees had overlooked. We could include love, fear of the Lord, among other things as well. And it's interesting, we've seen these before, haven't we? Mercy, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That sounds a lot like Micah chapter 6, doesn't it? <laughs> Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. 
And it sounds a lot like Jeremiah chapter 9. Same, some of the same values mentioned in all of these passages, justice, mercy, faith, and so forth. Justice, as we've seen in other lessons, is fair and impartial treatment of others. To treat others with justice, or justly, or fairly, or impartially, uh, that's, that's our goal. Now that's an attribute of God, we've seen that. The works of His hands are truth and justice. Psalm 111, verse 7. He loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 33 and verse 5. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. The 89th Psalm in verse 14. And remember what Peter says to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter uh, is persuaded to go to the home of this Gentile and teach him the gospel. God has uh, allowed Peter, shown him a vision, sheep coming down out of heaven full of animals. He's instructed to kill and eat. He resists at first. Remember, remember what Peter learned from all that? He learned that he shouldn't consider any man uh, common or unclean. And then when he went to the home of Cornelius, he says, I certainly understand that God is not one to show partiality. In every nation, the man who fears him and does what's right is welcome to him. And so that's our, that's our goal, not to show partiality, to not be a respecter of persons, as God is not a respecter of persons. Now I want to go over to James, the second chapter, and just note a couple of things about this that James highlights. Right, remember this section, James talks about being, or not being a respecter of persons, not, not showing partiality. And uh, he sees there's a problem in the church there that James addresses. And uh, he addresses that. And so in verse 1 he says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and so here's the problem. They're showing partiality on the basis of wealth. Man comes in, he's got on a nice suit, and you know, he's dressed well, and, you know, he's just, you know, he just it looks great. You, know, you tell him, hey, look, come down here and sit in the front. Man comes in, he's shabbily dressed, and you go over and see, you kind of sit over there out of sight of everybody. And, and so he addresses that problem. Verse 3, you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? And then verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? But you've dishonored the poor man. What you're doing is not God-like. You see, God has chosen the poor, and you're dishonoring the poor. And so your actions are not consistent with the character of God. God doesn't show partiality in this way, and so neither should God's children show partiality in this way. If a person is acceptable to God, a person should be acceptable to us in the same way that he's acceptable to God. Well, he goes on down in verse 8, he says, If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Secondly, what you're doing is contrary to Scripture. Scripture says love everybody the way you love yourself, and you're not doing that, and so what you're doing is contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to the nature of God. It's contrary to Scripture. So we need to make an adjustment 
James says, in our, in our behavior. Now, we make evaluations of people, and rightly so. We make a determination, this person needs to hear the gospel, he's in sin, he's lost, he needs to hear the gospel. And so we teach him the gospel. And so we make evaluations about people uh, in, in, under many circumstances. But we're not to make judgments based on superficial features, wealth, race, family, etc. Jesus says, don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Now, for our, our study of the New Testament, the Pharisees, you can see why Jesus would say, you've neglected justice. But he also goes on to say, you've neglected mercy. I like this definition of mercy. A generous attitude which is willing to see things from the other's point of view. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, that uh, definition. A generous attitude that's willing to look at things from the other's point of view. You know, why are, you know, why are you in the situation you're in? Tell me about it. Explain it to me. Let me hear from you. Let me see, try to see things from your point of view. It's linked to such qualities as kindness and compassion and forbearance in passages like Ephesians chapter 2. Look at that, Ephesians 2. And we're going to, well, we could begin in verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 and 3 describes our life before we became Christians. But then in verse 4 he says, But God being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He raised us up and seated with Him in heavenly places. And so here's kindness and mercy and grace all, all seen together, all grouped together in this particular passage. I'd like to say sometimes, you know, if you can know a person by the company he keeps, which is true, you know, here's a guy and all his friends are of this character. Okay, you can kind of, he might not be exactly like him in every, in every detail, but there's something about him that draws him to that group of friends. And so you can tell what a person is by the company he keeps. You can tell a word by the company it keeps. And so here's a word that keeps company with kindness and mercy and generosity and love and grace and all of those things. That's what, that's what mercy is. Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus has already emphasized mercy. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew, the tax collector, gives a reception for Jesus, and his tax collector friends come, and they, they meet Jesus, and Jesus is criticized for that. And Jesus responds by saying, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Matthew has already emphasized mercy in, in the book. The Pharisees were tithing, but they were not showing mercy. Now a good illustration of that is Luke chapter 7. Jesus goes to the home of a man named Simon, and there's a woman there who washes Jesus' feet. You might remember that episode. She is described as a sinner. And Simon says, if he had known what kind of woman this was, was washing her feet, he wouldn't allow that to be done. And you can just, boy, the, 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 that, that statement is just dripping with contempt, isn't it? But if he had known what kind of woman she was, he, he wouldn't allow that, you know. And of course, Jesus rebukes Simon for that. 
Yes, she's a sinner, but you know, she's very, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet, you know. She's, she's very grateful, she's honoring me. And so Jesus has a lot of compassion for her, extends mercy for her, even forgives her sin in verse 48. And so, no kindness on the part of Simon, no compassion, only harsh, quick judgment and contempt. No wonder Jesus says, you're tithing, that's great. <laughs> you don't show any mercy, and that's wrong. The third thing that he says is they're neglecting faithfulness or faith. Some versions say faith, some say faithfulness. You know, I, I don't know, this is an either or <laughs> proposition here, faith or faithfulness, probably both and. You lack faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness involves ideas such as integrity and trustworthiness. Jesus condemns the Pharisees for not keeping their oaths. You're not trustworthy. You don't have any integrity. You're not faithful people. Dependability, consistency, loyalty, and putting those things in practice. Now, I'm quite sure that the Pharisees would claim fidelity to God. They would claim, we are being faithful to God. Look at everything we do. Remember the Pharisee that went down to the temple to pray? I fast twice, twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I, tithes again. I give tithes of all that I get. So no doubt he considered himself faithful, but their practice toward their fellow man suggests otherwise. Their false oaths, verse 17 of Matthew 23, teaching others but not doing, the first part of Matthew chapter 23. Their claim to be loyal to God is false because you make void the Word of God through your tradition. You're not faithful at all. Matthew 15, verses 1 and following. Are we a faithful people? Are we faithful? Now, one test of faithfulness is in the way we treat other people. Are we trustworthy? Are we dependable? Are we consistent in our behavior? Do we keep the commitment that we made to others? Or do we say and do not do? And so that's the test, isn't it? Are we faithful to God? Well, how do you respond and interact and deal with your brother? Are you faithful to them? Okay, that's, that's one of the tests of faithfulness. The Pharisees were tithing, but they weren't faithful people. They thought they were, but they weren't faithful people. And we need to take care lest we do likewise. So these are the weightier matters and others like these. Uh, I'll just make a couple of observations here at the end of the lesson. As I said earlier, one reason these are called weightier matters is that they produce the proper observance of the details of the law. A person under the Old, Old Testament, for example, could force himself or force others to tithe without understanding the weightier principle upon which tithing was established. I mean, we talk about tithing being for the benefit of the priests and Levites performing their duties to make atonement for sin. So here are people that spent their lives making atonement for the sins of the people. They're making sacrifices and so forth. And so the people show their gratitude for the work of the priests by tithing in support of those men according to the law. Now, a person could for, force himself and others. Now, you just got to tithe without explaining, here's why we're tithing. Let me explain why that is important. And you know what happens in that, in that case? Resentment. <laughs> I just got to tithe. What's all this tithing? It becomes an arbitrary rule. 
if we don't understand the weightier principle undergirding it or establishing the rule. And so it's important for us to know the weightier matters, the essential features of the law, mercy and faithfulness and justice, because those are the things that produce the details and produce proper observance of the details. Now, we, we can do this. Now, here's the law of God. You've got to do this. And if we don't, again, establish these essential features, these elementary or fundamental principles, it just becomes arbitrary. Just an arbitrary list of rules and do's and don'ts that you have to keep. And if the danger is, of course, resentment builds up. And unfaithfulness, then, is the result. And so... We need to understand the weightier matters. Understand the connection between the command and the fundamental principle that is the support and foundation of the command. And then the last observation I'll make is this, that notice that Jesus doesn't suggest tithing can be neglected. <laughs> and that's not what he's saying. You know, now here people speak sometimes, you think that's what Jesus would say, and so sometimes we will say, well, you know, Jesus is not so concerned about the details. What's not what Jesus says here? Jesus says, these are the things that you should have done and not left the others undone. It's not a matter of either this or that. It's a matter of both this and that. And so it's not that Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees because they're too detailed. They're not detailed enough. That's the criticism. <laughs> You're neglecting something. It's not a matter of balance. Sometimes you run across that as well. Well, you know, you got to keep things in balance, you know, the big principle and the details. And, you know, if you got to neglect the details for the big principle, some, that's okay. No, that's not, the, that's not it. It's a both and. We develop and we practice justice, mercy, faithfulness, love, the fear of the Lord, but also the commands and the details that grow out of those fundamental principles. A person may say, we can just do weighty matters, not worry about the details. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Both the details and the weightier matters are important, and we should be careful to do both. We need to work out the implications of the principles when the details are not specified in God's law. So what does it mean to practice mercy or we need to be able to go from that to a practical application of that in our daily lives. What does it mean to show justice or to do justice? We need to be able to go from that principle to daily living, doing justice, and so forth. And so it's not you can do one to the neglect of the other. We have to be able to do all of this together, both the weightier matters and the commands that are produced by the weightier matters as well. Well, this summarizes our duty before God. Just, just one in a long line of passages that we've seen in the Bible that do that. And so he, he tells us uh, that we should do justice and mercy and faithfulness. We've seen other principles involved in that as well. And that summarizes, that's our goal, isn't it? To develop these qualities, these weightier matters and have them exhibit themselves in the way we live our lives every day. That's our goal. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together today to meet together and worship you. You, you, you Father, are worthy of our worship. 
your, your greatness, your power, your wisdom, your holiness, all, all command our worship. And Father, we are uh, grateful that we're able to do that, that we're able to come together with, with others of like faith and to praise you and worship you as we've done today. Our, our prayer, Father, is that each of us has worshiped you in spirit and in truth in a way that pleases you. Our Father, we're thankful for your word, that in it we can see what you require of us, what you expect us to do. Help us, Father, to learn that, understand it, allow those things to sink deeply into our heart. Help us to understand that we are to be just people, that we are to be uh, merciful and compassionate people, that we are to be people of faith and faithfulness, that we are to, to be loving people, uh, that we are to be loyal people. All, all of those great principles that we've talked about in this series of lessons, help us to show that, Father, in little ways, in specific ways, in our lives each day. Our goal, Father, is to please you, to do the things that you delight in, but so that others can see you in us and that they might come to glorify you as well. Help us, Father, as the days go by, the years and months go by, that we become more and more the kind of people that please you, that you delight in, so that we can have that home in heaven in your presence forever when this life is over. We pray these things in Jesus' name. The, your Son, our Savior, who died for us. Amen.